Red Salute, and welcome back to the Manifesting Podcast. Now, this episode is going to be a continuation on our talk from last episode about leftist ideology, communism, the necessity of communism, and really how vital it is for us as leftists to be on the same page if we plan on going out and affecting real change, which is kind of the whole point of this entire thing. Now, last week, I attempted to debunk some of the myths surrounding communism, that ideology, that term, etc., and we really focused in on the figures. We talked about Lenin, we talked about Stalin, and we talked about Mao. And it was kind of a, a quick and dirty debunking, to be quite honest with you. I do fully plan in the future on doing kind of more of a deep dive on those figures, the revolutions they were involved with, and kind of the ad- events that were unfolding throughout the world as, as they were in power. But I wanted to start with at least maybe clearing the air around the fact that hey, maybe they weren't these insane dictators. Maybe they didn't haphazardly murder millions and millions of their civilians without giving a shit. I think it's important to start there because that is some of the main bullshit we hear specifically in the West. Now, this episode, I want to move a little away from talking just strictly about the personalities. You know, we may touch on them here and there. It's going to come up. It's bound to come up as we're talking about communism throughout all these episodes. But I want to really talk more so about communism itself, I want to talk about terms like authoritarianism and dictatorship, because I know when a lot of leftists or even non-leftists think about communism, those are two terms that pop into their head instantly. And it may be a reason that they have such a hard time kind of jumping over that hurdle and looking into communism seriously. So we're going to talk about those two specific terms and kind of what authoritarianism and dictatorship means under a capitalist mode of production and how how that's vastly different how a dictatorship looks under a socialist mode of production and how authoritarianism is actually an important role if we're planning on having and sustaining a revolution so we'll get into that a little bit i also want to talk about another hang-up that that many leftists seem to have about communism and communists themselves you know communists will call themselves marxist marxist leninist or marxist leninist maoist etc and i think a lot of anarchists and other leftists have an issue with that they're assuming that communists just kind of worship these figures as god figures, like, you know, whatever Marx or Lenin decreed is what we're going to go through with. So I want to talk, I want to really debunk that, because that is not the case at all. There is a very good reason that communists use those terms, kind of these hyphenated terms, and it has everything to do with approaching revolution and leftist ideology in a scientific manner. So we'll get into that specifically and try to clear the air around some of that misinformation as well. Now, if you didn't check out the last episode, I would encourage you to do so before listening to this one. It's going to make this episode make a little bit more sense, kind of put it in its proper context. As I said last week, this is going to be a long conversation. This is going to be, you know, several episodes long. And it's, you know, if we're having a a podcast about communism and leftism, these topics are going to come up kind of constantly. So I think it's good to start from the beginning, kind of get the whole package deal. It's just, again, going to make a little more sense. Now, before we actually get into the episode itself, something I completely forgot to do last week, you know, if you want to reach me, if you have any like questions, concerns, comments, like death threats, etc., you can find me on Twitter at ManifestPod. I'm also on Instagram. I haven't posted anything yet, like, shamefully, like, I'm 32 years old. Like, this is the first time I've set up an Instagram account, so, I mean, Jesus. But um, anyways, I do have an Instagram account for the podcast itself. It's Instagram at um, ManifestPod. I can't even, like, fucking explain it. You see, this is ridiculous. But um, also... I do, like I talked about last week, and I felt gross doing so, I do have a Patreon set up for the show. Um, You know, again, I feel 
super weird like asking for money from anybody to do this i'm still gonna do it even without any support at all i actually did get a couple patrons which is so fucking cool like thank you so much like that genuinely means a lot to me to have support for for this type of this type of content out there um yeah, if you don't feel like supporting me there's like a bunch of other wonderful leftist podcasts you can support or like leftist writers etc i encourage you to do so if you can i know that's you know not everybody can do that i've definitely fucking been there before so if you want to support the show i am at patreon.com slash manifest pod again that support is just so greatly appreciated i would love to do this more often and commit more time to it so my spiel's kind of over there we'll actually jump into the episode now i want to begin this episode really talking about Again, the terms authoritarianism, dictatorship, the state, the boogeyman that is the state, etc., in so many leftist eyes. You know, we need to we need to clear the air around those terms because that again is a major hang up for many leftists. It was for me personally, like I considered myself an anarchist for a long time. And when I heard the word state or authority or dictatorship, I just thought about these top down, exploitive nasty systems that are out there killing people across the globe and for good reason i mean there's there's a legitimate reason that people believe that because when we're talking about a state under a capitalist mode of production especially here in the west that is what a state is it is exploitive it is murderous it is fucking causing mayhem across the globe so yeah that that's that's not off base to be quite honest but let's actually talk about what a state is now a state of any stripe is it's a dictatorship now the question really comes in is to you know who holds the power in this dictatorship now states as we know them under a capitalist mode of production again specifically here in the west it's a it's a dictatorship of a minority over the majority you know these small amount of elite rich people kind of run the show i think we all know that leftists of all stripes understand that concept that yeah, you know, it's. I mean, you even look at something like the one percent versus ninety nine percent. This is not a new idea. I think a lot of people understand that there is a minority of elite and wealthy people who run the show and do exploit not only us here in the West, but especially people around the globe. But what does a state look like under a socialist mode of production? Now, one thing it does have in common with a state under a capitalist mode of production is it's still a dictatorship. Again, all states are dictatorship, but it comes back to that question of who holds the power. Now, I think for a lot of leftists, and myself included, like I said, I considered myself an anarchist for a long time. When you hear the word dictatorship, it's so easy to check out at that point. It's so easy to check out because you think of dictatorships, what that has meant to you, you know, how you understand them. Dictatorships are generally nasty, top-down, exploitive, murderous regimes that have been kind of a pox on humanity. So it's understandable to hear that term and just want to check out instantly. But again, we have to go back to the question of power. So under capitalist mode of production, we have the minority ruling over the majority. Or under a socialist mode of production, it kind of turns it on its head. We have the majority ruling over the minority. All these people that have been exploited, especially here at the global peripheries, you know, here in the West as well, all these, these workers, the working class, the very poor, the, the most highly exploited in the world, all of a sudden they have a power over the people that were exploiting them. So you can see the power dynamic there is such an important thing to talk about because those are two vastly different states. Yes, they're both dictatorships, and I understand that's kind of a, a scare word for a lot of people, but it's that question of power. It really comes down to that question of power. Do you want a minority exploiting a majority or a majority having power over a minority? I think that's kind of an easy question to answer, to be quite honest. 
Now, at this point, I can hear a lot of leftists saying, like, well, yeah, obviously, man. We don't support a minority exploiting the majority. That's kind of why we're leftists. That's the point of being a leftist, right? So why do we even need a state? Like, why does a state need to be a thing? Like, can't we just do away with that? It's had such a terrible track record. Why do we fucking need this? So that's where we really spark this conversation about if we want to take an idealist approach to revolution and changing the world, or if we want to take a more scientific, materialist approach to revolution and changing the world. Because trust me, like I would absolutely love to have this glorious revolution, and then the next day everything is like fantastic. You know, we have these wonderful federations set up, and and everybody's on board, and there's not going to be you know all these people trying to who've been put out of power trying to take power back. That would be lovely. I mean, no gods, no masters, no homework. I'm all for that shit. That that's great, but that's not a realistic approach to how revolution works or how the world works, unfortunately. So why a state is important, again, why we talk about the power of a state, is because we can't just have this glorious revolution and then everything is going to be chill. That's, that's just not how it works, and history has proven that several, 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 several times. So that's kind of the main difference between communists and anarchists. Communists will say, yeah, we need the revolution. Anarchists will say, yes, we need the revolution. The question comes in, what happens the day after the revolution? Now, communists are going to say that we need to take hold of the state. We need to take those power structures and use them to have a dictatorship of the proletariat over the minority. Eventually, yes, I would love to get to a stateless society, but we can't pretend that's going to happen overnight. These power structures do not just disappear overnight. This backlash is not going anywhere. You know, even you, you look at like the Russian Revolution and the Chinese Revolution, even with a socialist state in power and what anarchists would call authoritarian regimes, there was still a backlash. There was still civil wars. There was still imperialist funded detractors trying to take these states down. So to assume that we can crush the state overnight and not have a response is the height of idealism. It's absurd and it's ridiculous, and we've got to get past that if we're being real. Now, that's where Marx really started out, you know. He had issues with what were called, you know, utopian socialists like Proudhon, who believed these, you know, they're, it's not that they were wrong. Like Proudhon, like, you know, he had some great ideas. Yes, we, we want ex exploitation to be gone. We want death and destruction to be gone. We want imperialism and just all these terrible things. Yes, we want them to be gone. But that doesn't happen without taking power, holding power, and actually making it work. And if you want a modern example of why this idealism just doesn't work, look at the Occupy movement in the U.S. Now, I don't want to say it was like forced autonomy, but autonomy was definitely one of the main themes of the Occupy movement. You know, we want to be autonomous. We want to reject any form of central organization. And the, the fucking movement fizzled out like months later. Surprise, surprise. It's just, it, it's idealism. If you have ever tried to organize with anarchists or other leftists who are wary of power and they demand this horizontal democracy, this horizontal power structure, that is code word for like shit's never going to get done. You know, like even if there's like a real majority of people who are on board with something, you know, the Jimmy, the white kid with the suburban upbringing doesn't believe in power structures, man. So we can't fucking have a vote on this shit. He doesn't want to be a part of it. It's absurd. It's absurd. And there's a reason it's so prevalent in the West. 
we will i really want to i'm ranting here i it's impossible for me not to sometimes we will talk about again why anarchism is so popular in the west especially amongst white westerners we'll get to that but the main point is here is that idealism does not work idealism does not get the job done it never has it never will we both communists and anarchists want an end of the state but you have to use the state to get where you're going it's just that simple so i'll wrap up this little segment again this is very surface level we will definitely do more of a deep dive on these topics going forward i just wanted to touch base on some of these main issues i'll end this little segment with a quote before we go on to talking about why communists call themselves marxist leninist maoist etc this quote is from Frederick Engels, and it's about authoritarianism, and it goes like this, quote, Have these gentlemen ever seen a revolution? A revolution is certainly the most authoritarian thing there is. It is an act whereby one part of the population imposes its will upon the other part. That's summing up communism pretty succinctly there. So let's move the conversation forward. Again, I kind of want to talk briefly about why communists will call themselves Marxists, Leninists, Maoists, there's other variations, and why many other leftists have issues with that. I think other leftists will see that as communists worshiping these figures, you know, putting them on high, saying this is the gospel from Marx, so we must follow it, etc. You take any figure and you can apply that. Now, let me preface this by saying that if you're a part of Left Book, if you don't know what that term means, you're probably the better for it. But if you're part of any kind of online communist or leftist discussion group, you will see people that will just strictly make arguments from authority. You know, no matter what the topic may be, they'll use a quote from Lenin or Marx or whoever and being like, well, here's what, you know, he or she said about X. So we must follow that. That's an absurd outlook. You know, it's important to learn from these people, to learn from what they did right, what they did wrong, etc. But to just try to force a quote or go phrase hunting on any topic about why a communist leader was correct in every respect, it's it's ridiculous and it does us a disservice. We're not having an honest conversation at that point. And not only that, it is a very non-Marxist way to approach topics. You know, if we're supposed to be taking these materialist approaches, we can't just say x person said a so we must follow that that's that's absurd you know many communist leaders spoke specifically specifically against that type of shit so why while many people online specifically are guilty of that type of stuff it's important to talk about why communists do use this terminology why i consider myself a maoist a marxist leninist maoist there's a reason for it and it has more to do with a scientific approach than it does with with worshiping figures to to say the least I want to start this segment just by reading a passage from uh, J. Mufuad Paul's book, Continuity and Rupture. Side note, if you're unfamiliar with his work, absolutely check him out. He has a little bit of a trilogy, I guess you could call it. Uh, starts with The Communist Necessity, uh, Continuity and Rupture is the second book, and then Austerity Apparatus, which kind of serves as like an extended afterward to the first two books. But uh, JMP brings a lot of clarity to these subjects, so if you're interested, definitely check him out. Again, so I will... Uh, Read a little bit from his book here, just about this topic of why communists use like MLM when explaining themselves. And it's a little out of context, it's like in the middle of the book, so we'll break it down after I read the quote here. So JMP says, quote, We need to recognize that Maoism as a concept stands over and above the name of Mao Zedong. Just as Marxism and Leninism must stand over the name of Karl Marx and Vladimir Lenin, respectively. 
These are moments of theoretical development that are named after significant revolutionary theorists, but that, in the final instance, merely take these names as ciphers for a set of concepts that go beyond the individuals for which they are named. Just as a critical Marxist should not accept that everything Marx claimed is sacrosanct, so too a critical Leninist or Maoist should not reduce Leninism and Maoism to the moment of naming. Again, Maoism is not reducible to the thought of Mao Zedong, but is something that is derived from this thought through an assessment of the world historical revolution in which this person was its principal theorist. Obviously, it would be easier to dispense with names altogether, especially since the naming of a theoretical tendency often pulls us back into an obsession with the individual person from whom this name originated. Past and present Maoism share the name of Mao, after all, and in the moment of this sharing are easily confused. The concept is obscured by the name and its origin. It would be better, then, to speak simply of revolutionary communism, perhaps, rather than chain together these names of those theorists that represent the development of revolutionary communism as a science. After all, physics does not theorize itself according to similar chains. The contemporary physicist does not attach Einsteinian to Newtonian because they simply accept that the transformation from Newtonian to Einsteinian paradigm is a fact and that this fact is uncontroversial. There is no reason to create these hyphenated chains. But here is where the so-called hard scientists, hard sciences, excuse me, differ from the science of history and revolution. After the long march of scientific militancy, years after the moment of rupture has been accepted, the average physicist does not feel the need to conceptualize their terrain and worry about ideological line struggle. While it is true that there are always moments of reaction where scientists will attempt to lose themselves in spiritualism and mystification, most scientists are able to prove over and over the necessity of a paradigmatic shift with equations, technologies, and laboratory praxis. So I think the last passage that the JMP writes there is especially vital. You know, he kind of compares revolutionary science to science of, uh, of leftist ideology as it compares to the hard sciences like physics. Now, there's a reason that physicists and scientists don't need to call themselves Einsteinian Newtonians, etc. It's because, you know, if, it's, if facts have been proven, if there's kind of empirical evidence of how something works then there's no need to go back to this previous theory. We just move forward. Where if we're talking about revolutionary theory, even though we have historical revolutions, we do have empirical evidence of what revolutions have worked, how they've worked, what has failed, etc. Somehow we're still in this, we're kind of stuck in the mud when it comes to discussing like how to have a revolution, what's the best way to do it, even though we have the evidence out there. And I think that's why it's so important to take a materialist approach, as communists do, and say, hey, there's a little bit of a blueprint here on how to have a, a revolution. We've seen successful revolutions. We've seen what to do, what not to do. So can we please get past, like, step fucking A and move forward here? But here we are still having this line struggle with other leftists about what theory is the best, even though we have proof of what's worked and what hasn't. So that's what's frust so frustrating as a communist especially speaking to other leftists is like we're not even past step one because you you all won't get on board with us on the fact that here's how revolutions have worked and let's move forward from that so that's what's especially frustrating and i think that's what jmp is getting at in that the reason that communists will still use terms like i'm a marxist leninist maoist is because we're not at a point yet 
in leftist ideology where we can just say, hey, I'm a revolutionary communist because we still have to defend these base level things which have already been proven. So that's such a vital part, again, of taking a materialist approach to leftist ideology. And I feel that's really unfortunate that, that most leftists do not take that approach because they're scared of the word communism and still have these hangups about that terminology. So the last little bit I want to do for this episode is talking about why it's so hard as leftists here in the West to get over that hurdle and, and really embrace like communist ideology. Why is anarchism or social democracy or reformism so appealing here in the West? I think one of the reasons is, is obviously what we've been talking about here the last couple of weeks, right? You know, there is a lot of uh, stigma surrounding communism, a lot of misinformation out there. So people have a hard time embracing that ideology. But another really giant factor in that conversation is, you know, we go to the quote from like Marx and Engels from the Communist Manifesto where they say, you know, working people of the world unite, you know, proletarians have nothing to lose but their chains. Now, that's not especially true here at the metropoles, at the centers of capitalism. The people in the metropoles do have a little more to lose than their chains. You know, if you go to the global peripheries, if we look at these you know, where, where capitalism is the most violent, where these modes of productions are just the most heinous, where uh, capitalism really bears its teeth. You know, those people, those people who are hyper-exploited on a day-to-day basis and murdered, they really do have nothing to lose but their change, which is why we see successful revolutions, why we see, like, protracted people's wars in, uh, in India, in the Philippines, uh, in Peru, you know, when the Communist Party of Peru was going through that. You know, that's why we see, you know, some modern day successful attempts at, at, at implementing Maoism because they don't really have a choice. It's not like they can check out. They don't have the privilege of just checking out and being like, yeah, fuck it. I'm not really into politics like we do here in the West. So I feel like even for leftists like anarchists and, and people who believe in reformism and social democracy, it's, it's kind of a safe way to be a leftist. Now, let me explain that. You know, if you're an anarchist, if, if you're, a, you know, you're into social democracy, if you're a reformist, you even like electoral politics is the way out of this thing. There is a safety net there because honestly, there is a safety in never really having the revolution, right? There is a safety in just kind of sitting on your haunches. We get to play at being revolutionaries. We get to play at being leftists. You know, we, we get to pretend that we're, we're revolutionaries. It's very comforting, but we don't actually have to go through the work of revolution, so I think a lot of people get scared when they hear about like communism because communism is talking about like, hey, isn't the point of all of this to actually have a revolution? Yeah, revolution is frightening. It's a legal activity. You're going to be kind of targeted by the state. That's scary shit. It's a lot easier to have your occasional march, go out and bust up a few fucking windows, you know, fight fascists in the street. I'm not saying any of that's not important. But it's not actually changing the systems of exploitation. It's not changing anything, really. It's just these little skirmishes in the street, and that's all it is. That's safe. That's safe. You may get into a little trouble here and there, but it's still safe. Revolution is dangerous. So I think that's why people have a genuine fear of communism, because it's calling for actual revolution. And here in the West, here in the metropoles, we have the benefit of, of checking out, of not having to go all the way with it. Where, again, if we look at the global peripheries where there's hyper-exploitation, there's a reason communism is more prevalent there. There's a reason they take it seriously as, as the revolutionary ideology, because they don't have that benefit. They can't just check out. 
it's either revolution or death for them. So you have to look at that honestly. You have to look at yourself in the mirror and, and, and kind of have that discussion of why am I choosing some of these other ideologies over the one that's calling for actual revolution? Speaking of revolution, I think that's something we'll really get into next episode. We'll talk about the history of protracted people's wars, whether that be in China, the ongoing people's wars in, uh, in India and the Philippines. And we'll get into talking a little bit about how does a revolution in a place like the United States or, you know, another real imperial power with a vast military, how does it actually look? Because I think when a lot of people hear about a revolution in like the United States, they're like, well, Jesus, we're just going to be throwing ourselves to the slaughter, right? It's not exactly how it works. Now, it is a little bit under theorized, but there is some good work out there about PPW in the metropoles. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Um, you know, along with a few other things, we'll continue our discussion about communism. So again, if you want to contact me, if you have any questions, etc., you can find me mainly on Twitter at ManifestPod. Like I said, I do have the Instagram account yet, which I'm, I'm still navigating. Again, if you want to like kick me a couple bucks on Patreon, that's super rad. I appreciate the support. If not, I do just appreciate you checking out the episode. So until next week, red salute.